We began last week to talk about Christianity is more than a decision made. It's much, much more than a simple decision. It has to do with a life that has been touched and transformed by God so that we look at life in a totally different way than we did before. We looked at the beginning that it's a transformed character. And this morning we want to look at the fact that it is a thankful character. I've been thinking of this since preparing. As you know, my wife had major surgery some time ago, and uh, I, I thought, well, since she's a teacher and has a very good insurance that whatever the hospital charges, the insurance would pay. <laughs> and so I got a couple of letters from Salem Hospital. And I thought they were thanking me for sending my wife there. <laughs> it was a bill. It was a huge bill. And so we, I started to pay, started to pay. I talked with them, said, yeah, that is fine. And then one day Lois came home and she said, do you know we have insurance for cancer? I said, what? Yeah, we've been paying since 2008. Didn't even know it. And so I called the insurance company and I, I said to them, is it true and they said, uh, what's her name? And I gave them the name. And they said, oh, oh, man, she has a good insurance. No, I don't know what it is. But I got all the information from the hospital and sent it to the, to the insurance company. We're waiting to see now what will be the response. I'm telling you that story for this reason. For many Christians... They are saved, but they don't know what insurance they have. They live their Christian life begging, wondering, hoping, doubting. When God has provided for us a spiritual insurance that can deal with the issues of life. Life on a hold is horrible. Life on a whole is discouraging. Life on a whole can be so difficult that sometimes you want to ask the question, where is God when it hurts, as Phil Yancey has in his book. And we try to, to pay, if you please, for some of the things in life. And the text tells us, the Bible tells us, that God has already paid. And you don't need to live paying, paying, paying when I'm talking spiritually now so that there is an insurance. And it's from our text this morning. It's from our text this morning. When we come to a place of faith in Jesus, when we ask Christ, if you please, to come into our lives, 
He does. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that is not all there is. There is an insurance policy that he has given. And the first thing that happens to us when we become believers is that there is a spirit of gratitude. A spirit of gratitude. We, we begin to see with spiritual eyes and we begin to thank God for things we never saw before. Listen to how the apostle puts it in verse 12. If you look at the end of verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness to be secure, to have patience, and to have patience with joy, giving thanks. Thanksgiving in the life of a Christian is something that works out of a faith that is connected to God who has done something for that life. Immediately, you want to say thanks. I, I said some, I remember the first time I did something for someone and they said, no problem. And then the second time I heard it, I said thanks, said no problem. And you know, I started to think, so if it were a problem, it means you wouldn't do it? You see, thanks, my friends, is to recognize precisely who and what so that we can relate our thanksgiving not to a vacuum, not to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because when God does something in us, we begin to be spontaneous in our response to him and it begins by giving thanks. Now listen to what he says. We are giving thanks to the Father. You have heard me saying this before, and I'll say it again. When an atheist says, I'm thankful, what is he or she saying? If there's nobody, thanks is always an assumption that someone has done something. It is you being the recipient of what someone else has done, and you recognize. So for the Christian, listen to what he says. We're giving thanks to the Father who has done something. We'll look at those in a few minutes. We are grateful to God. We're addressing someone. We are addressing the Father. Now, please listen, friends. I sat for hours thinking of this. Amazingly, Paul did not say, we give thanks to God. That is true. But when we speak only of God in this sense, Paul is saying, we're speaking of God in a judicial sense. It is something that is required of us. But when he uses the term father, you know, I never say to my son or to my daughter, now I'm going to do this for you and when I'm finished, I want you to tell me thank you. I wouldn't want to do that. What I want is for them because I have done this, they say, thank you, Dad. It's spontaneous. And so we have a father. Here, here is my friends, I thought of this for hours. He said, thanks is given to a father because a father is the source of care. A father is the source of protection. A father is the source of provision. A father is one who is there to protect. And we will see in a minute 
that by becoming our Father, God did something for us which gives a picture of what a father does for his children. A father is source. Petar. This is the one from whom this comes. A father is someone who is there, who is present, who knows the condition that requires his strength. And God, like a father, comes into your life as a father. When earthly fathers fail, that does not represent the kind of father God is. When earthly fathers fail, it shows what earthly fathers are like. But this father in heaven cannot fail. When Jesus was talking to his father, in every place in the New Testament where Jesus addresses God, he addresses him as father. There was this relationship, this sense of of, of belonging to, caring for. Again and again, he speaks of his father. And when he's going to teach his disciples how to pray, he tells them, when you pray, say, our father. How many of us go to God that way? How many of us go to God, you are my father? I remember hearing years ago of the Salvation Army captain who was dealing with a young chap who had gotten into some trouble. And the Salvation Army captain was trying to tell this kid, he said, God is like a father. And the kid looked into the face of the officer and said, if God is like my old man, I hate him. See, because fathers are supposed to reflect what God is like. Jesus is telling us this. We will see what this father does, what he did, and what he can become in your life and mine. We are thankful to someone who is there. We're thankful to someone we can commune with, someone who has our best as his goal for us. Someone who, like a family member, is there to support, to supply, to protect, to care for. The object of thanksgiving is God who is our Father. You know, every time I think of this and I think of it again and again, I will never forget the first time my daughter asked me to help her with her homework. I mean, you would have thought I won a million bucks. Not that I knew how to help her, (laughs) but she asked me. You know why it was precious to me, friends? Because I didn't have a father who helped me. I never had a father who was there. And the joy that comes in a father who takes delight in the development, the direction, the desire of his his son or daughter is something that reflects the delight. Listen to what the scripture says. When the son was missing and the father went and searched for the son, when he found the missing son, he called others and he said, Come and rejoice with me, for my son who was lost is found. This is a father who takes delight in his children. 
a father who loves them with a love that cannot be fully grasped. The object of the Christian thanksgiving, my friends, they know God not as some judge who sits up there as killjoy in all of life. They know God as someone who is present, who's caring, who's loving, who brings security to them. The object of thanksgiving. That's why for the Christian, thanksgiving is not the last Sunday in November. Thanksgiving is every morning when you wake up. Every morning when I wake up. Because the scripture says in Psalm 121 that even in our sleep, God is providing. Even in our sleep. He gives us sleep, but in our sleep, he's providing. Well, let's look at the occasion. Why are we thankful? What is it that God has done that makes us thankful? And if you look in this text, you will find that almost everything here is past tense. He has done it. Not only will he do, but there are certain things that he will do. Four things that God has done as father for us. Look at verse 13. I'll come back to the end end of verse 12. He has delivered us. He has delivered us. What is meant by that? To be delivered assumes that someone is held against their own will. Someone is held captive. Someone is a prisoner of someone who is tyrannical. To be delivered means that you do not have the strength to deliver yourself. This is what God did. In Jesus Christ, God came into our world. And he came to the place where Satan holds sway. No human being is strong enough to deal with the power of the devil. No human being. His power is beyond human power. His power is stronger than the combined ability of the world to produce. Not even the atomic bomb is as powerful as what we're going to hear about this morning. And so what did God do? He came into where we were. And he lived like you and me in his son. And he went and chose Here's the fatherhood of God. He chose the path of the cross. And on the cross, God confronted the devil and defeated him. And by defeating him, he was able to bring us from out of his control into another another space, another sphere. You want to see how captive you are? Do I need to know how captive I am? A simple illustration will help. How many of you have been able to put your hand into a a box or a can or whatever it comes in of peanuts and just have one? (laughs) Or 
I am not a great popcorn lover. For some reason, it doesn't appeal to me. But uh, they had it on sale the other day, and it had caramel on it. It was two for five bucks, and I thought, mm, that sounds something that I can afford. So I got one, and I put it beside my desk where I study. And I said, this is the last handful, no more. <laughs> Ain't so. A slave. I am held captive by it. My friends, this happened with sin. How many times do you say, this is the last time I'm going to do this? And we find ourselves doing the same thing we say we weren't going to do. It's because we're slaves. We're held in captive by this. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died to bring us deliverance from that which held us captive for all of our lives. This is the care and the act of a father. Oh, my prayer this morning is that you and I will realize, my, fa- my, my, my friends, that God wants to relate to us not simply. God wants to relate to us not only as the one who judged our sins on the cross, but he wants to relate to us as the father that he has become because of the cross. He has He has acted unknown to us before you were born, before I was born. This this God in heaven planned how he was going to deliver us. He was going to allow his son to come into a world and it will look as though Satan had won. But please understand that God won is that there is an empty tomb today. That's how we, how we won. The occasion for thanksgiving, if I could not deliver myself, and my parents could not deliver me, and not even the education I have delivered me, how am I delivered from being a captive to sin, a captive to Satan? God did the act. You don't have to try and strive to do it. He has done it. At the cross, At the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith that I received my sight. Why? Because the atmosphere, my friends, is one of darkness that we are in without knowing it. Listen to the text so hard to describe. He delivered us from the power of darkness, says the King James translation. He delivered us from the domain of darkness, says the NASB. He delivered us from the dominion of darkness, says the NIV. The one thing they know, that our souls, our minds, our world is in spiritual darkness. And it is so hard to describe that darkness that three translations say, this is the way it is. What is darkness? Darkness, my friends, is to be held In a way where you do not see correctly. You do not see clearly. Your your, your eyes are, are affected. Your spiritual eyes are affected by deceit. 
This is what darkness is. It means that we are not at the place where we can see clearly what God wants us to see. The devil has said, God is a liar. Don't believe him. And so we believe that God is a cosmic policeman that is only there to take away from us the joy of living. And we think, like Frank Sinatra, if we do it our way, it's better than God's way. But in describing an atmosphere, Paul tells us, my friends, this, that we are not capable of of making ourselves what God wants us to be. In Mark 5, there's a man, the scripture gives detailed description of this man. He lived in tombs. He scratched himself. He screams out at night. And the community in which he lived tried to to, to control him. And they would put chains on him. And the text tells us in Mark 5, no one was able to tame him. Because no human being, no matter what we do, that's the reason, my friends, that men who commit crimes and go to prison do it again. Very few remain outside. And then Jesus came. Please listen now. When Jesus came and delivered that man, the text tells us that the community people who were not there came and when they saw the man, they saw the man clothed in his right mind. Romans chapter 1 says that you and I, before coming to Christ, our minds are darkened. Our minds do not see things about morals, about human relationships. We don't see it from God's point of view. We see it from man's point of view. And we are deceived in thinking that we can do it the way we want to. James chapter chapter 3 James says, all kinds of animals have been tamed by mankind. But the tongue, no one can tame. The tongue, nobody can tame. Who then is capable of controlling this thing that gets us in trouble? These things that say things for which we regret afterwards. Who can deliver us from a a tongue that is like a viper, as the scripture describes. Please listen, friends. God does not change our language to change us. He changes our hearts to change our language. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if the tongue is going to be tamed... God does a deliverance of my heart from its darkness, its deceit, its duplicity. And he gives me a clean heart, a heart that is now able to deal with truth as it is in Christ. That's the deliverance we need. I was in Chicago a few weeks ago, as you know. When that airport was bombed in Brussels, and I watched, I watched the disaster that came as a result of that bomb. 
and one of them did not go off, by the way. And I remember the first time I started to listen and study these things. I could never understand how someone can put a bomb around his or her waist, go into a place with innocent people who have nev- don't even know these people, and detonate that bomb. And if that was not bad, I'm going to tell you what's worse. That it's someplace in hiding, they say, we are responsible for this. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That one gloats over the destruction of innocent human lives? That's darkness, friends. That's darkness. I know stories that I wouldn't want to tell you because I'd be embarrassed to even tell it. I remember, I remember in graduate school reading a book, Brave New World, and I had to read some of the experiments that are being done between human beings and animal right now as I'm speaking to you. That's darkness. That's darkness. And for you, my friends, we are at the place where we have gotten to the place in this country and in mine across the border where we have come to the place where we call good evil and where we call evil good and where we call wrong right and where we call right wrong. That's darkness. D.L. Moody used to say, If we send a young man to college to learn not to steal the the wheels off the train, he will be educated and come back and learn how to steal the train. Darkness, friends. We better believe it. Because that's the world we're living in. And God did something to deliver us from that. In Jesus Christ, God made Satan to understand that he has no control over us. 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies in the wicked one and the only one capable of overcoming the the wicked one is God. Nobody else can. The devil's greatest fear is to get us, I'm sorry, his greatest feat is to get us to believe that he doesn't exist. You know Why? If we believe that he doesn't exist, he can do his dirty work unhindered. If we believe that he exists, we'll go to God because we know that we're not strong enough to deal with him. And we will trust God who overcame him to overcome him in our lives. The atmosphere described the power of darkness. Please understand, friends, when you hear some of the rancid things that are being done to children to people all across the world, please understand that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. So we've looked at the act of deliverance, the atmosphere that is described. Look at the aim of deliverance, verse 13. Look look at this beautiful, beautiful text. For he rescued us, or delivered us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us. To the kingdom of his beloved son. Here's what happened. 
you may not feel any differently when you put your faith in Christ. But something happens spiritually, my friends, that is beyond your comprehension and mind. The moment you and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, God removed us from under the, the domain. He didn't leave us to try and struggle for ourselves. He removed us from that spiritual sphere that deceived us, destroyed us, deceived us, and he brought us into a new sphere. You are now a citizen of a new country, a spiritual country. You are in a, a citizen of, the, 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 of darkness over here, but he has brought you under the domain of someone else. The devil was tyrannical. Deceitful. He comes, says the scriptures, only to destroy and to kill. But over here, he has brought us into the kingdom of his, I love the King James word here, his dear son. What does this mean? It means, my friends, that from being subject to the devil over here, we are over here where we are subject to Christ. And the way Christ leads us is not the way the devil leads us. It is Christ who is the Lord, who is the love of his Father. And Christ lords our lives the way the Father lorded his life when he was on earth. So his banner over us is love, not fear. His banner over us is care, not anything that could destroy our lives. The kingdom of his dear son means that the sphere that now controls our lives is the same sphere that controlled Christ's life when he was on earth. His dear son. God, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God has called us into fellowship with his son. This is why he brought us from under there. He didn't bring us so that we might just float along with life. He brought us, and he brought us into a new sphere, the sphere of his kingdom, the church, the body of Christ. And he has placed us there so that together we can have fellowship not only with one another, says John, but with the Father and with his Son, because this is the aim of God. He didn't save us so that we could just lounge around. Napoleon said this, all human empires, all human empires have been conquered by force. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ is controlled by love. All human empires controlled by force. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ is founded in love. Love, my friends, that sacrifices for others. Love that serves others. Love that glory in what God does in another's life. Love that is pure, selfless. That's the sphere into which we have been brought. Over here, it is selfishness. It is me, it is I, it is mine. Over here, it is you to the glory of God. <laughs> Reminds me, the song we used to sing as 
a young Christian, Jesus and others and you, that's a wonderful way to spell love. <laughs> Jesus and others and you, that's the kingdom of God into which we have been brought. My friends, we live in Oregon, and Oregon is a beautiful state, but people live in Oregon. A lot of people who don't know Jesus live in Oregon. And you and I have been placed where we are now so that before those very people, we will display a lordship that is controlled by divine love that will make them envy us. They're supposed to see something, my friends, that they do not know anything about. The tragedy of this age is that many churches are trying to be like the world. Well, then why will the world want to be like the church if all we want to do is to be like them? Listen to what he says. He has transferred us, not will, not will. What's the accomplishment of deliverance? Go back to verse 12. The accomplishment, he has qualified us, that is, he has adopted us to an inheritance. He has adopted us. He has qualified us. He has made us. Given us all that is needed to be under his control in his kingdom. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is something promised to offspring of, by friends or whatever the case might be. What kind of an inheritance has God promised us? Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are kept by God's power, who are guided through faith for a salvation to be ready, ready to be revealed. Our inheritance, my friends, is anticipated here, but realized there. Think of the missionary who came home. The same day he came home, the president of the United States has arrived from Africa on a, on a hunting expedition. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people. Remember now, these are days when they didn't have Air Force One and the rest of it. Hundreds and hundreds of people to meet the president. And this missionary who had gone to Africa buried two of his children, I think, one or two of his children, Diseased in his wife's body. He looked at his wife as the people were there greeting the president. Looked at his wife and he says, look, we went to Africa. We buried our children. We're sick with disease. And just a few people are here to greet us. Listen to her response, but honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. My friends, we have an inheritance that is waiting for us. If you please, fellas, your mother, 
went to her inheritance. God says, I have this ready, ready, waiting for you. Nobody can, Satan cannot touch that. It is out of his domain. And I am keeping you here in preparation for your inheritance there. That's what God is saying to us. That's the ramification of being a Christian. That this is not all there is. There are benefits now and there is much more to come. There is, there is divine ownership. You are kept by God's power. But not only are you dealing with divine ownership, you are living with divine promises. I mentioned this to my class this morning. When St. Paul was about to die, he said, I have kept the faith. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has promised to me, but not to me only, to all who loves his appearing. There is waiting for me. What a legacy we have as Christians. Don't be paying the bill, my friend, when you're insured. God has promised us something that we can begin to enjoy here. How did he do this? By the remission of our sins. Going back to Calvary. The remission of our sins. To remission means to bring, to bring back, to pay, to remove something from one place, which he has done already in verse 13. And he did this through Christ shedding his blood. So we become the righteousness of God in Christ right now. I cited four things. Four things that forgiveness means. And I close with this. Literally the word forgiveness means to send away. In the Old Testament there was this this ceremony when the priest would lay his hand on the goat a symbol of God laying his hand upon Christ in judgment and this goat would be sent away never to return in that that's what the word forgiveness means when God forgives you and me he sends our sins away listen to what he does with it Psalm 103 and verse 12 as far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? I, we, we, can't, we can't fathom it, can we? No. When someone does something to me, there are things in life that reminds me of what that person did to me. Please listen, friends. There is nothing that Satan can do that can make God remember the sin he had forgiven you and me. Nothing. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed it from us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Secondly, Micah 7.19. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, they will be cast into the depth of the sea. And allow me to use Corrie ten Boom's words. 
When God forgives our sins, it is like casting them into the depths of the sea and then he puts a sign saying, no fishing. How many of us are not plagued by yesterday's failure? Listen to what God says. I have forgiven you. I put your sins under my feet. Thirdly, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, the one who wipes out your transgression for my sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Oh, am I thankful for that. Am I thankful, my friends, that the thing that I'm ashamed of before my mother, before my wife, before the church, God says, when you confess them, I will remember them no more. Lastly, Isaiah 44, 22. I have wiped out your transgression like a thick clouds and your sins like a thick cloud. You know, when you see that thick cloud and all of a sudden it's gone, God says, before me, your sin was like that cloud and I have wiped it out and now there is nothing between you and me but the blood of my son. And that puts you under my care. In 1860, in the city of Chicago, Ed Spencer was a theological student getting ready to go into the ministry. And Ed Spencer decided to join what is called the life-saving team. The life-saving team. And it was their responsibility as if there was a... uh, um, a capsized in Lake Michigan, that th- that team would go to um, rescue the people. And September 18th, a ship capsized in Lake Michigan, and Ed Spencer and his team went in, and Ed Spencer that day saved the lives of 17 people. 17 people. Because of the temperature of the water, and his exposure to this situation, he contracted some kind of pneumonia, was never able to finish his college education, and he died. Upon his death, not one of those 17 people showed up. Not one of those people communicated with him their gratitude of thanks. Dear friends, I have read to you this morning from the scriptures that God has delivered us from the domain, dominion, power of darkness. He has made Satan incapable of overcoming you by moving you from where he ruled to where the Son of God is now the Lord of your life. When was the last time you returned thanks? See, thanks is the logical outcome of gratitude because of what God has done. Oh, take time, sometime today to say, again, the grand old chorus we used to sing as children, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free.
take a moment, Father, has uh, friends, has the Spirit of God convicted you this morning? Do you need to make things right with God? In that he has showed you, O man, what is required of you? Speak in these few moments to him and respond. And if we can be a further help to you, please do not hesitate. That's why we are here. But you alone knows, you alone know where your own spiritual need is this morning. And the Holy Spirit has pointed it out to you. Return thanks to him now. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would have accomplished the purpose of which you have sent it, and that we shall see for the first time that we have insurance, insurance that has been fully paid for, and that we do not need to keep paying for what God has already paid for. Please give us the joy then of yielding to Jesus Christ so that we enjoy his righteousness as ours. His lordship in the same way he enjoyed his father's lordship. Because when he brings us into the banqueting room of God, his banner over us is love. And we thank you in his name. Amen.